want to start today with something from Erwin McManus. He, he's a minister and an author. I've been to some of the seminars he's given, and he's written a number of books. And one day he was sharing about going to, to Bangkok with 50 other people, including his eight-year-old daughter, on a mission trip. And they were in Bangkok, and unfortunately, there's many dark places in Bangkok in human trafficking, other false religions, and just a lot of need for the gospel. Erwin was there with all these people, and unfortunately, his daughter was hit by a car. I'll share what he wrote. My daughter, Mariah, darted across a busy street. She was hit head-on by a car. I watched helplessly as her body bent around the hood of the car. She was thrown like a ragdoll onto the streets of Bangkok. Hundreds of sparrows flew overhead. It was the practice of the city to capture these sparrows, put them in cages, and take them to places of worship for the purpose of having people impute their sins upon them. Those birds seem to express a connection, if not a transference, of demonic oppression. Under this ominous cloud of birds, on the busiest street, at a heavily populated intersection, amidst a multitude of cars, my little girl lay crumpled on the hard concrete. We've been looking at Psalm 91, again, a psalm about God's protection, his promise to be with us. Let's continue that Psalm, verse 10, which says, No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You know, somebody once said, if you want to be protected, to feel protected, lean on God's promises, hold close to those scriptures that remind us of who God says we are. You know, there's a, a great story by Gary Collins. He's talking about a, a, a friend who had a goldfish named Jonah, and his friend was going to clean the fishbowl. So he put Jonah in the tub with some water, cleaned the fishbowl, and he said he learned something, though, very interesting. He went back to get Jonah out of the tub, and, and this goldfish was swimming in a circle the size of his fishbowl. And Gary Collins, you know, he talked about it's sometimes our, our nature, we get conditioned to a certain response and we get limited by beliefs. And so we like that goldfish swim in a small circle, even though there's all this room for us to advance, to grow and, and to be more and to do more. And we have to break out of that conditioning that holds us. It's important for us to remember, looking at the, the call of Christ, if you go back to the New Testament, the word for witness and martyr it's the same word in Greek. And so in Christ, we are called to be the witness, whether it's in an easy time or a difficult time, if it's comfortable, uncomfortable, whatever it is, and to move out of that place of being like that goldfish, just going in a tiny circle where we are more comfortable. The Psalm here, Psalm 91, as we've been saying, it's not just to be inspiring to our intellect or our heart, but it's to grab hold of the faith, believe it deeply, and then confess it in our words, in our prayers, in the things that we proclaim and declare. James chapter 4 verse 17 tells us about a part of our calling where James says, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. You know, maybe God has laid upon your heart to do something about, you know, there's 30 million people in slavery around the world and to step into human trafficking to raise funds or to volunteer and you're not following through with that. Today's the day to make that choice. Maybe it's your personal life where you've not done something for your marriage that needs to be done and you know this could fix it. It's time to make that choice and to do that. If you know what you ought to do and you're not doing it, God says you're, you're being disobedient to his call and that's sin. 
you know, my wife and I, we, we love horses. We have a horse. And horses, you know, they are very intelligent. And we've done some training with a gentleman named Clinton Anderson. He's well-known around the world. But I'll tell you something very interesting that he shared. And horses, you know, they can perform all sorts of maneuvers and follow all sorts of commands. But they're not as strong as a donkey. And donkeys are strong and they can do simple tasks. But they're not very smart. And so the idea was, what if you could combine the strength with the intellect and you combine a horse with a donkey, you get a mule. But Clinton Anderson, he'll train anything but a mule. And because the reason is that, you know, they are intelligent. They are very strong. But just as the stereotype, they're very stubborn. And so mules are hard to get to listen, to follow direction. And also mules, as I'm sure everybody knows, they cannot reproduce. And so it's a combination of strength and smart, but it's stubborn and it can't reproduce. And the metaphor is clear for our lives. You know, believers, they are to reproduce their faith in other people by their obedience, by their example. You know, but so many people are stubborn and stuck in their ways and they're going to just serve self and not make a choice that might leave them uncomfortable. That's why we come back to things like Psalm 91 and see this promise so many of them here, to proclaim them so we don't have fears of stepping outside of our comfort zone. Again, Psalm 91.10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Let me give an example of somebody who put that into practice in a very practical way, and maybe this is something you'll feel compelled to do. This is Peggy Joyce Ruth, shared about a friend named Ed and Patricia. And she shared Ed and Patricia, you know, on Ed's side, all these family members had died early deaths. And on Patricia's side, all these other people in her family had illness. And she said she started to get ill. And she said, I can't have the same illness all these other people had. There must be something going on. And so they shared, you know, Ed and Patricia, they talked about the early deaths and the constant illnesses in their families. They decided to do something about it when it came to their own children. And so with their children, Ed and Patricia, they wrote out a covenant based on Psalm 91 and the promise that no terror, no arrow, no pestilence, no destruction would come near their household. After they read it together, they signed it, they dated it, and then Ed prayed over each member of his family individually, and he blessed them with wholeness, and he rebuked things like fear and infirmity off of his household. That's taking Psalm 91 and putting it into practice. Here's another person who did this with scripture, a different scripture, but Herbert J. Taylor in the early 1900s, he was a successful businessman that gave a lot of money to missions and he got sick and, and you know, he turned to God to say, what should he do about this illness? And God led him to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And so Herbert Taylor memorized the Sermon on the Mount and he spoke it every day out loud over his life for the rest of his life. And people that knew him said, you know, he was one of the most Christ-like people you'd ever meet. You see, that's mixing faith, taking the word, putting it into practice, whether it's memorizing, proclaiming it, writing down a covenant. You know, Steve Jobs said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Other people, they get stuck like that fish in a bowl and they swim in circles. It's comfortable, but there's no life there. I love Tony Robbins sharing, you know, warriors, they want a worthy opponent. And the idea is, you know, rather than shrink back from challenges or be fearful of challenges, is to say, finally, you know, a worthy opponent in my life, this opportunity, this mountain to climb, finally God is testing me with something he knows I'll grow even more through. Rather than shrinking back from the, the challenges to finally step up and say, I'm glad there's something worthy 
of the strength God has built in my life. You know, you can't turn to the news to get an honest opinion right now. The news is there to, to startle people. You can turn on one channel. They'll say the story goes this way. Turn on the other channel. They'll say the exact opposite about that same story. So, you, you know, they're not there to get information. But what they do is startle people and people are getting scared. We've talked about, you know, there's more domestic violence happening now. Divorce rates are higher. Addictions are higher. Depression higher. And people are looking for, well, what's the answer to that? And let me give you something to stop and think about here for your life and for my life to begin to make a difference in the world, taking things like Psalm 91 and speaking that and believing that. But here's a question. This is from Steve DeShazar, therapist. He came up with this question a few years ago, and he's been sharing it ever since. And people you know, have kind of created therapy around this question and life coaching and, and stop and consider here, what's something that's not the way it should be in your life? Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, whatever it might be. Consider this question, especially in the light of standing in the confidence of who we are in Christ. Here's the question. Assume tonight you went to bed and before morning a miracle occurred so that when you woke up, your problem was solved and everything you wished for had taken place. How would things be different? It's, it's called the miracle question. And again, if everything changed tonight, just the way you wanted it to be, how would things be different? And when you look at where your life is now, and that vision or picture of where you would want things to be, now you and I have a target to say, well, what do I need to, to close the gap between how it is and how it could be? And begin to think of steps that you could take this day, you know, one or two or three things to begin to create that life to look like that vision that you now see. Doing that with the promise of who we are in Christ is what gives us the confidence and the assurance that things can change. Let's go back to Erwin McManus, whose daughter was hit eight years old on the concrete. He writes this, I rushed to my little girl, but before I could pick her up, she stood on her own. I held her in my arms, and when the police arrived, they insisted we go to the hospital. The driver of the car implored us to get medical care. All I could say was, Mariah is a follower of Jesus Christ. God has protected her. She is fine. I felt more as if I was hearing those words than uttering them. It was as if someone else was saying them and I was simply observing. Then there was the peculiar phenomenon. As some 50 friends from our group had surrounded my little girl to pray, all those sparrows overhead stopped flapping their wings. They stopped their insane ranting. For a moment, there seemed to be peace in the soul of Bangkok. You see, that's the difference of living out of faith that is walking in the promise of proclaiming, declaring, using scripture, building up the confidence and the courage that's there when we recognize, again, who we are and most importantly, who Christ is. You know, Keith Yamashita writes about businesses and life, and he said there's a few reasons, you know, why people get stuck. And he says, you know, one, they feel overwhelmed. There's too much scrutiny in their life. They feel exhausted. There's just no energy. They feel without direction. They're working on a to-do list with no vision. He says they feel hopeless, no sense of achievement. They feel conflict, disagreements with others. They feel worthless. Nobody appreciates them. They feel alone. 
isolated from the rest of the world. Think about each one of those things, overwhelmed, exhausted, directionless, hopeless, conflict, worthless, alone, and then see them through the lens of who Christ calls us to be and know who we are in him. And each one of those things vanishes away where there's nothing we can't do with his strength, where there's hope eternal, where we know our value in life. You see, we come to a place and we recognize that truly that he is the answer to all things, but it doesn't happen if we just, again, play church for a few minutes or sort of talk about life in Christ, but then live a selfish place. Or we talk about, I want to see the chains, but we keep swimming in that small circle like the goldfish trying to stay comfortable. You know, here's what people are looking for, and I'm sure we can each identify this in our own lives as well, but something Marie Takashima shared, she was on a mission trip to Mexico, and they were painting parts of a neighborhood to clean it up. And some places they were painting, others they were painting a mural, and she was painting three words. And these three words, they captured the heart of this person walking by. And she stopped and asked Marie, why are you writing these three words? She explained they were on a mission trip, talked about the gospel of Christ, and this person just began to weep and gave their life to Christ. And again, you want to know what people are looking for? Here's the three words that Marie Takashima was painting on the building believe, belong, become. And the person that walked by said, you know, how do you know what to believe? There's so much confusion in the world and somebody to say, you know what, let me tell you about the truth. And then to say, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. And to introduce them to Jesus who says, whosoever will come. And then to say, I don't feel like I I can become anything other than I am And to be able to learn, you can grow and expand and accomplish all things in Christ. We can all believe, belong, and become. Psalm 91, as we continue, part of this verse should sound very familiar. And again, the first part says, No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. The second part, though, says this, For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. As I've said, Psalm 91 is considered a, a soldier's psalm because many soldiers carry it written down in their pocket or inside their helmet. Julie Weiss shares about her son, Jake, she said was in the Marine Corps. And I'll just read her words. He wrote us about an ambush they experienced when six men were shot by snipers. They were pinned down by sniper fire and had little cover. He said he had never been that frightened. He told us he prayed that night, all night long, and read Psalm 91 over and over. And he put his name and the name of this company in that Psalm to receive the promises. God was faithful, she says. All the men survived and no one had a permanent wound. And here's her advice to, to you and me. If your loved one has a need and is not a believer, remember God loves an intercessor. Your prayers will be honored. Keep your loved one covered with prayer and know that God hears you. The promises of Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge concerning you. That should sound very familiar because if you go to Matthew and you study when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Matthew chapter 4, we're told the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, the devil said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
when the devil chooses scripture, what does he choose? Psalm 91. He's tempting Jesus to do something that Jesus would not do, which was foolish. And Jesus, we're told, answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to your test. So the important part here is Satan knows the power of Psalm 91. He's going to use those words to, to try to tempt Jesus to, to fail in his calling. But Jesus says, listen, the psalm is there about God's protection. It's not about being foolish in life. But that's how important the psalm is. Even the devil is going to, to study it and try to use it against people and twist the meaning of it. Psalm 91, it's there for our promise of his protection and God's presence. And it's believing in our heart and declare it. And maybe it's memorizing scripture like the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe it's writing down the covenant, including Psalm 91, and signing it with your family's name and praying over each one. But it includes a stepping out of the comfort zone. You know, John Singer Ray you know, he grew up in Mumbai, India, and he shared, you know, he lost his mother. He was young. His father remarried, but his stepmother, she was abusive. And so John, he went to this church. He wasn't a believer, but there was this cross and he knelt before the cross and he poured out his heart, all the pain he had. And he said he heard nothing. So he got up, he started to walk away. And suddenly he shared, he sensed his voice in his heart. And the voice was this, my son, I understand you. I've gone through it before you. I went from country to country. Some people were ready to stone me. Some people were ready to kill me. My own friend betrayed me. My close friend denied me not once but thrice. My disciples ran away from me when I was arrested. I went through pain. I was nailed on a cross. I was pierced. One thief ridiculed me while I was on the cross struggling to breathe. I died on the cross in front of my own mother and beloved friend. I understand you. Come close to me and follow me. I was risen on the third day with all glory. At that moment, John became a believer, and now he's a, a minister down in India, living out the promise to say, this is the life that Christ offers. It's not about the safety. It's about when challenges are there in our life. They're there to make us grow, and we can finally say a worthy opponent. When others shrink back, and they're fearful and startled by news and anxious or relationships are, are suffering, we can be the light to say, no, this is your chance to be even a better witness to Christ. You know, I don't know much about poetry, but there's a, a fascinating story with two poets in the 1800s. And you may not recognize these names, but you will in just a moment. Uh, one, his name is Robert Browning, and the other, her name, Elizabeth Barrett. And they fell in love and they exchanged over 500 letters, love letters, before they met in person. When they met in person, they knew they were meant to be together for life. And once they went to tell their family about their love, their desire to get married, Elizabeth Barrett's father said, if you marry that man, I disown you. Well, Robert Browning and Elizabeth, they eloped to Italy. And there... Once they married, they wrote poetry to each other. And their poems are preserved today. And they have this wonderful relationship that they shared in word. The reason you'll know who they are is Elizabeth Barrett. Her most famous statement to her husband, Robert Browning, was, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Here's the thing, though. Once they were in Italy, Elizabeth Barrett, she wrote a letter to her father every week expressing her love desire to see him, hoping to reconcile. 
Elizabeth Barrett wrote a letter every week for 10 years to her father and had no response. Finally, after a decade, she got a response from her father. He mailed this box. She opened up the box. Inside was every letter she had written him, and they were all unopened. You can imagine that type of hurt. The rejection of that love that could have been his, and he's the one that suffered in that. But that's so many people's life as well. You know, they're looking for a place to belong, to become, to believe. And God is offering love to to reach out, to speak into their life and into our life. But so many reject that because they're caught up in swimming in a circle of comfort and familiar. And they're missing what is there. And it's time now to be the witness to courage and confidence and growth to declare the protection that God offers and do that with our own strength, believing in him by our example, walking in Christ. I want to close with an example of somebody who stepped out of that comfort zone. But what an incredible testimony. Her name is Ruth Friesen. And Ruth was baptized by her grandfather in a river in South India. And she would share there were fellow believers gathered around her and they were clapping their hands, creating this loud chorus of percussion to accent her baptism. And Erwin McManus got to talk to her and her son. And he said, you know, when the son described the scene to me, I thought the clapping was a part of the ceremony. And I'll read what he wrote. Her son, though, explained that the waters were filled with crocodiles. Making loud clapping sounds with their hands was the community's best attempt at keeping the crocodiles away from the new believers. Ruth then shared, We were not sure if the crocodiles were just below the surface or right above the water. The crocodiles didn't pull us under before our grandfather did baptize us. As Erwin McManus writes, In essence, the church risked their lives so that the new believers could publicly declare their faith in Christ. Again, it's not about the comfort zone. It's about the growth. It's about being that witness, whether it's an easy moment, a challenging moment, a comfortable moment, an uncomfortable moment. It's about stepping forth, being that example, that leader to say, listen, you can believe his promises. You can belong to the, the family of God giving your life to Christ, and you can become more than you can ever imagine because you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength.